Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pierce Cast, where we talk about everything Pierce College. I'm one of your hosts, Nikki Erickson, and I'm joined here today with my co-host, Tony Grace, as well as our guest star, Katie Ohashi, a student success coach here at Pierce College. So, Katie, to start off, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and some of the work that you do here at Pierce for our listeners? Yeah, so I'm a student success coach. I primarily advise students pursuing or exploring STEM and healthcare career pathways. Um, I used to also do business, but we are switching it up a little bit. So now I'm doing healthcare. And um, I do a lot of work with onboarding, student onboarding, and also student retention. Um, so looking at orientation and tailoring each student's unique experiences and needs and desires to what will help them be successful in college and what will help them support. Um, help give them support throughout. So um, looking at things like building a like individualized course map uh, based on what their you know needs and wants are, based on where they're planning to go, if they're planning to transfer to university, if they're running start student have high school requirements to complete, whatever whatever the case may be, um, just making sure that students know what their resources are, what their support systems are, that I'm there to support them along the way. I'm not here to you know, make decisions for them. I'm just here to give them all of their choices and options so that they can make the best informed decision for themselves. And what, what got you into this role? So what inspired you to help students and to take this path? Oh, so that was actually kind of um, a surprise. <laughs> so I went to, I, my first ever job was at Pierce College. I worked in the Health Education Center with Brian and I was a student receptionist. So I worked there while I was in Running Start um, and I got my Associate of Arts degree from Pierce College. And then I went to the University of Washington, got my degree in social work, and then I was stuck. <laughs> I was like, what am I supposed to do after this? Where am I, what kind of jobs am I looking at? I applied to a job um, to be in the like CPS services, working with foster care and adoption. And then I applied for this job <laughs> and I didn't get an interview for the other job, but I did get two interviews with this job. I got to meet Agnes and um, they offered it to me while I was on vacation. I was like, yep, I'm going to take it because at the time I was trying to think about what I was going to do. And uh, to be honest, I was working as a lifeguard, hated it so much, um, you know, seeing seeing people not taking care of their kids and just letting their kids walk into water is not a smart decision. And I was like, get me out of here, please. I'm done saving babies. And um, literally. Well, in the same vein, like the idea of going into CPS, that's like a similar yeah. concept, right? Watching how folks parent oh their gosh, kids. Yes. Um, in your, in your, um, in your degree, did you do practicums? Because yes. that, because that's a very yes. specific population. Did you find that that was where you wanted to go? And can you talk a little bit about the different yeah, types of practicums? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, nobody's ever asked me that before, but yeah, I would love to. So, um, and I think it's an interesting, like how I've gotten here is, so in social work, you do a one-year practicum. So for anyone, you know, wanting to go to University of Washington, Seattle, Tacoma, major in social work, which is top five in the nation, just saying. Um, Yes, you have Huskies, to do. Though. Yeah, <laughs> Huskies for life. Um, all of my family are kooks. Just saying. Anyway, <laughs> had to be different. Um, so your first year, well, your uh, your junior year, you spend one quarter doing a kind of volunteer project. So I personally decided that I was going to work with HIV and AIDS patients because I had no idea what that population went through or had or is going through. I had no idea anything about them. I was like, this is a population that I know nothing about. There are so many stereotypes about them. I want to get to the bottom of like what's going on, how to help them, how to support them, how to change the narrative of, you know, what it means to be someone who identifies as having HIV or and or AIDS. I don't even know if that's even the proper term anymore, but I did that. Um, to be honest, I didn't really get much out of it um, because I was in charge of movie night and mm -hmm. I my shift ended in the middle of the movie. So I would get people to go to the movie. I would sit there with them and then halfway through I would leave. So I didn't really feel like I was contributing. I was supporting. I was doing much. Um, but that was only a quarter um, you know, commitment. And then the next year you spent the entire year, 16 hours per week 
in a practicum, like a full-time job almost, um, you know, you were treated as if you were in a full-time job. Obviously, it's not a full-time job. So I first started with CPS, um, and then I moved to, like, family intervention and, like, um, reuniting families. So I would be transporting children from foster care to this, um, I don't even know what, what kind of center it's called anymore, where their parents are there to meet them after, you know, they've been doing whatever they were doing. And it's just me... And it sounds so so weird, but it's me basically watching and supervising their interaction together, which sounds so silly and ridiculous. Um, but but I guess you know there are certain in certain situations there might be a reason why you may need to intervene and be like, okay, like your family visit is done because of X, Y, and Z reasons that mm-hmm. never happened with me. Um, a lot of the parents, for whatever reason, liked me which I thought was really nice because um, sometimes, you know, they kind of have that wall up for good reason. Um, and they usually took it down and they were a little bit more open with me than I probably would have needed or liked. <laughs> but I was OK with that. Um, and I would just take kids wherever they needed to be go. And um, it was all in downtown Seattle. I was driving at like 4 p.m. on a Friday in a minivan. <laughs> Not my... Uh, it was a bit stressful. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, yeah. Um, but it worked out, and um, yeah, I had a good time. I, I was always specifically with these um, brother, this brother and sister, sister, and I would often, like, go back and forth with, you know, taking them to see their, their mom and then also taking them to see their foster parents or taking them to some other event or other Um, And then halfway through the year, I switched. um, So I moved from CPS to adoption services. So it was more of like visiting families who had recently adopted children, making sure that they were adjusting, making sure that they were um, doing well, being successful. They had their supports and other. And I would also redact a lot of court cases um, around adoption, around being separated from family, which was really hard. Um, and it was really interesting because for one, CPS is like so overworked. But for me, what I learned and what the social work program taught me is that it's okay if you're not fit for every type of thing. There are some people who want to go into like emergency ER social work and they want to see, you know, and help people who are like bleeding out who are dying and they're like all for it It gets their adrenaline pumping they're like I'm ready to help you I'm ready to support you I'm ready to be there for you and there are other people who are like I can't even stand being pricked with a needle like and that's okay right that's okay and yeah a spectrum and so the social work program really taught us that like you may you may want to help people but it's okay if you can't do it in every way and so for me that was what CPS did where I was like I did it for six months. I don't think I could do it anymore. Like I just, and adoption wasn't so much better because you're still trying to, at the end of the day, you're trying to, you know, um, find the kids a home with where you think is best for them. And oftentimes that is often the default of putting them with their biological parents, which I have thoughts about, but um, it isn't, it's not always the case. And it's just, there's a lot of things that go on with that. And so, yeah, it's technically happier because you're, you know, helping them find a new home and you're helping them find, you know, people who care about them and support them and, and other. But, you know, there's still that disconnect or, you know, their their parents come out of rehab or their parents come back from whatever reason separated them to begin with. And then that creates, you know, family tension if or not just family tension, it just creates tension everywhere if they're in the process of you know, being in foster care and being adopted or just adopted or, or whatever. And I'm not even speaking on every, every possible scenario because right. I don't, I don't know, right. but yeah. And so for me, I was like, you know, <laughs> um, I think I would like something that, you know, is slightly more upbeat, maybe not with children anymore. Yeah. You know, some, maybe something with adults or at least high school students, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something where I'm still helping, but maybe in a different way that's important. Um, and that's where this job came. So I'm super grateful, super thankful. Um, and I, I do feel like I, I help a lot of students. I feel like I help I help them a lot in, in different ways than I did working in CPS. I mean, maybe not like 
life-threatening or like survive or I don't even know what the what the word would be um you know like basic needs and such but you know Mm -hmm. I'm helping I'm supporting students in you know gaining a better life for their family for themselves in pursuing an education which is really important in our society definitely and to clarify really quickly for anyone listening who isn't sure what cps is are you speaking to (laughs) child protective services services. i'm sorry (laughs) i will make sure to (laughs) when you work so much in it it's just the acronym yep (laughs) yes sorry yeah yes child child protective services i will uh, definitely if we come across any more acronyms i will definitely say the whole thing We'll write a guide yeah. for our listeners, all the acronyms we yeah. use. So now I wanted to ask you, so your work, your early work in social work, yeah. um, how did that affect and kind of get you ready for your work with students now? So what experiences and background did you bring from that that you still use with your students today in a different setting? Ooh, like you said, now you've got older yeah. students. It's a bit of a different dynamic, yeah. but yeah, no. I mean, I'm only I'm only reacting this way because nobody's ever asked me before. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because um, technically, you don't need a degree in social work to be a student success coach. Um, we have, you know, everybody has different degrees: psychology, business, um, STEM. Like, yeah, we come from all backgrounds. Um, but yeah, I so there's a few things. There's a few. Uh, so social work is is a lot of practice it's a lot of like physical like hands-on doing stuff um in my in my junior year we had this whole class dedicated to how to interview people like how to do one-on-one conversations with people with clients patients whoever they may be and so open-ended questions versus closed-ended questions like how do you you know say supportive dialogue how do you do this that and the other and then our final was to have an actress come in and sit with us as if they were our clients so they like I had a whole background of like who they were gonna be and portray and like like whether it's standoffish or being aggressive or, or whatever it may be and we had to film ourselves interviewing them and there were certain like um objectives that we were supposed to get to and it was the most stressful moment of my entire life. We had a practice run with each other as classmates, but then there was like four different actresses. We could end up with any of them. And it's a great gig for them because they get paid to come back every year to do just this. And it's totally improv. It's not scripted at all. They just kind of go with whatever works. And I totally believed her. And I was like, totally like, oh God, like, <laughs> like sweaty. <laughs> and like, oh, and you only have an hour. So you're also timed. And yeah, that didn't like that experience, but it did kind of like push me under the bus of like, you're gonna eventually have to deal with this. And so you might as well go through this really awkward experience first so that the next time is more casual and you're like a lot more comfortable with it. And I mean, that's what I do every day. I literally talk to students every day, all day, one-on-one, maybe with a partner or a family member or a parent or maybe with all their kids. Like, you know, it, it ranges. And, um, you know, there are some students will literally tell you that your enti- their entire life. Some students are maybe a bit more hesitant. That's, you know, totally fine. It's whatever works best for them and what they feel comfortable with. Um, but that was one thing that was like, yes, this is preparing me. The other thing is, um, or two other things that I can combine into one, one quarter was a facilitation, so it's literally all of us together in a facilitated group by seniors where we talk about different topics from our different perspectives and our different identities and our different backgrounds. And they purposely pair you in smaller facilitation groups based on how you identify to see if there's ways where they can have polar opposites. Mm. So like if I'm the youngest being, I think I was 19 at the time, then we're gonna have the oldest who is in their 60s in the same room. And if we have, and we're going to try to have everyone of the LGBTQIA community, everybody, uh, whether they're immigrants or U.S. citizens, we're going to have, you know, like all these different. And I mean, my cohort was super diverse and unique. And I think that that helped a lot as well as, you know, learning that there's always something more to learn. And you can never take, you know, the way a person is at face value. Like there's always so much more about them. So that plus that same quarter, we had an entire class about understanding our own biases. 
So literally going into our own identities, our own biases, and how we perpetuate those onto other people in society. Yeah, and I, can that's see, not something, I can see yeah. the opportunity just with the, the generational gaps, the the, yeah. the gender differences, the cultural backgrounds, uh, ableism, all of these different things yes. kind of sitting in the room at the same time, how stereotypes can run rampant. Yes. Um, and so are you able to speak to how that experience kind of informs um, other areas um, that you want to bring attention to um, in general and, and the work that you're doing here at the college? Ooh. As far as like stereotyping, um, and and I know that you know that was your first little foray into film, part yeah. into that. Type I'll of tell work. you, yeah, I'll tell you my train of thought. So, um, I actually went into it with this like huge appreciation for intersecting identities and the term intersectionality, where it's like I'm not just an Asian identifying person. I'm not just a woman. I'm not just someone with a bachelor, now master's degree. I'm not just this, that, or the other. I'm all of these things combined, and that is what intersectionality is. So when I started at Pierce College, Student Life reached out and said, hey, would you want to do any type of workshops? Is there any way we can collaborate? Or maybe it was me reaching out to them. I don't really remember. Um, and they have the, uh, the Puyallup campus has the Identity, Culture, and Inclusion program for students, the certificate program. So I was like, yeah, I would love to. So myself and the other student success coach at the time, Katie, so it's Katie and Katie, we did uh, intersectionality workshops. So we touched on, you know, like what are what are the, I guess like t- 10 main like social identities that we often associate when we're talking about these things. And then let's break it up into thinking about how do these intersect to basically, you know, have you, right? Um, so we started with that. I did an unconscious bias workshop with Patrick Patrick Carter uh, for All District Day, which I remember because the chancellor was there. <laughs> chancellor Johnson was there, and I was like, oh, she's sitting right there. <laughs> and that was, that flashbacks was, flashbacks yeah, to that film episode yeah. all over again. Uh, yeah, and um, that was one of my first two years here. Um, it, it was her, and then it was Dean Agnes, Dean Tom Broxen, and like a few other people, like super high up. And I was like, "Oh, they're all in this workshop," <laughs> but it was it was fine. It was fine. Um, and and I would also say, like at the time, I was still somewhat of a quiet person. I was not much of a of a public speaker at the time. Um, public speaking for me really grew out of this job and having to do group orientations. So before doing group orientations, I never really spoke in public, or if I did, I would stutter, like really bad. So just the practice of having to do two orientations in front of a group of 30 every day, every day in the summer, twice a day, really developed my public speaking skills and really helped me build a mindset of like, how can I speak to people or in front of people and not stutter, not have my legs shake, not have sweaty palms? And so for me, like that was a huge, that was a huge revelation for me. Um, so then we go into, I go to grad school. So I got to a point where I was like, I need some kind of professional development where I am critically thinking, where I'm doing something more than what I'm doing now that will, you know, just just for me, really. Um, and the University of Washington Bothell has a great cultural studies program. I think it's the only one in the state, to be honest. And I had I talked to the admissions advisor. I was like, what does this entail? What does it look like? What are the outcomes? So I went through that program. And I don't know why, but literally the first quarter, people just started associating me as the Disney person. I was like, I don't even know why you think that. I said like one comment about Disney and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you have a Disney question? Go talk to Katie. Like, oh, you watch this? Go ask Katie. Like maybe she's seen it too. Like, you know, like all of those things. What was the question that you asked? I think it was just like, oh, I grew up watching this. Like, I really like this. Have you ever thought of this? Oh, there it is. There it is. That explains it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was also interesting because the the, um, icebreaker to my grad program where we all met for the first time, the icebreaker question was, and I've done this before in my workshops, is if you were, who do you resonate with most and why? Is it Wile E. Coyote or is it the Roadrunner? And I'm pretty sure, so there's another person who works at Pierce College who went through this cultural studies program with me 
So if they're listening, <laughs> sorry if I'm wrong, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I was the only one who said I was the coyote. And I said, I'm not the coyote because he's a villain, but I'm the coyote because he's resourceful, he's creative, he tries different methods. He lives in the middle of the freaking desert. Where does all of these bombs come from? Like, where do all of these dynamite <laughs> and other things come from? He has no air in it or nothing. And, you know, he's just trying to survive. He's literally just, like, he sees the Roadrunner as food. Some of us, you know, see animals as food, right? Like, some of us eat chicken, some of us eat tuna. And, you know, it's it's nothing against them. It's just, this is, you know, the circle of life, uh, Disney pun. And, some of us you know, eat chicken up the sea. Yeah. Um, and so that's, yeah, so that's why I was like, you know, I'm the coyote for these reasons. I'm not, I'm not like the road runner where I'm making fun of people. I'm mocking them. I'm running away from things. You know, I'm just, yeah. So that was kind of also what led me into the Disney villains thing is thinking about it from the villain perspective and seeing it that not all villains are always wrong or bad. Just because you don't do something well or you do something wrong once doesn't make you necessarily a bad person, depending on what that is. Um, And so then I did an independent research class, also because I didn't want to drive to Bothell every day. (laughs) I was like, I'll do an independent research class. I don't have to go to class. And I did it on Disney villains. Did a whole research paper that ended up being my like master's thesis was why and how Disney villains are relatable. Specifically, like how Disney villains often are represented to be or to look like marginalized communities of people, you know, people who have non-standard English dialects, or I should say non-standard United States dialects, immigrants, people of color. Um, There's a lot of villains who are queer coded, which is, you know, associating them with the LGBTQIA community. A lot of them are a lot older. Um, a lot of them are either really big or really thin. There's no like in between. There, there are so many, so many things that I touched on, and um, really just breaking it and like, how can we view them in a different way that is not biased, that doesn't create and criminalize people who also identify with these communities in real life? Because as a child, you watch all these movies and you're like, oh, stepmothers are evil <laughs> because Cinderella has one, Snow right. White has one, right? So all of a sudden, your default is. All stepmothers are evil. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like, all rainbow skin colors, they're all evil. Like, But that's not how it is in real life. You know, your your petty stepmother is not going to try and kill you because you're more beautiful and young than she is. You so know, what did that's you just, think about the, what did you think about the, um, almost kind of like the spin where they were able to tell Maleficent's story arc? Yeah. What, what, what's your thoughts on that? I personally really liked it. I I like things that tell the story in a different way. I mean, how many times have we seen Spider-Man and Uncle Ben dying? Too many. We all know that story. We need something different. That's why I like the Miles Morales story, which is very different than the original Spider-Man that we see. Same thing with Disney. Well, I mean, it is Disney now, but same thing with Disney princess, you know, fairy tales or just any fairy tale legend myth. You see it so many times in one way, like Snow White, right? Which is great, you know, like let's have a little spin, but having it completely flipped makes it so much more interesting than seeing the original that you've already seen multiple times. So Maleficent was something I really liked. I also liked the adoption narrative in Maleficent because oftentimes adoption is another one of those things where they put adoption in a bad light Mm. and where it's like your adoptive parent is the villain. You know, like entangled right. with Mother Gothel adopting Rapunzel. She's obviously the villain. She kidnapped Rapunzel. Um, you know, Snow White's stepmother technically also adopted her. Cinderella's stepmother also adopted her. There's, and and even then you could also argue, like, there's not really any birth mothers. And we can say, you know, it was back way back when, when we didn't have health care. And, you know, we didn't know how to do C-sections and other things. So maybe they died in childbirth. We have no idea, right? Um and there's a lot of deeper history to uncover with the literature and how uh, back in the day it was only men who were actors, even for female parts, and so many other things, right? So many technical logistics. Um, but it, yeah, there are, there are still things. I do have an episode about adoption coming out. That's why I can talk about it so much now. But Lilo and Stitch is another example where the social worker is purposely like the villain character 
also he's portrayed as a big black man, which mm. is a whole nother like mm. issue to delve into. Uh, named Bubbles. What social worker would ever be named Bubbles? It's like Bubbles Cobra or something. Um, not that I'm, you know, saying anything against names, but yeah, there's so many, there's so many things. Um, and yeah, I kind of went on a tangent, so I apologize, but yeah, that, that kind of <laughs> led to it. And then I started to do, um, all district day workshops for Pierce College. So what got me to, to combine everything is Pierce College decided a couple years ago to do, um, what was it? Like the the after work workshops so that you can build up time uh, compensation for to take the winter break off, right? So um, their theme for those workshops was imagination. I'm like, does this include Disney? Can I can I tie it all together? And they're like, yeah, go for like, it. That's yeah. perfect. So it's kind of like they gave me, at Pierce College gave me a little bit of an in. Um, so I did the Disney workshop where I was looking at, let's let's say that all of these Disney villains are our students. So that's kind of what my draw in was. So I was like, let's look at Captain Hook. These are his identities. Let's look at Rapunzel and how she's a princess from you know the city of Corona. And these are her identities. And then let's break it down. If this was your student, how would you help them? What resources would you give mm-hmm. them? You know, like... Um, People would often say, you know, Captain Hook, you know, has a hook for a hand. He's a bit older. He, you know, lives on a boat. So maybe he doesn't have housing. Maybe he was, you know, a Navy, um, Navy SEAL or, you know, in the Navy. So he's more comfortable in that environment. So we can look at VA resources. We can look at access disability resources. We can, you know, we can look at um, like all of these things. And then Rapunzel was kind of different in a way where it's like, she wears the same dress every day. She has no shoes. She has so much hair. Uh, she has no social oh skills. God. She's been isolated, you know, for 18 years. And she's also around high school age, but she doesn't have a high school education. So looking at like the high school education program, the um, like transitional education and looking at, uh, you know, like how can we incorporate her in, or not incorporate her, but um, introduce her to different student clubs and events on campus so she can gain, you know, friends and also that experience. And so it, just looking at all of these different things, these and these are all things that people said to me in the workshops. These are not, you know, coming out of my mouth. Um, it's all the Pierce College employees. And then um, I flipped it on them. So um, since I haven't been doing it for a year, I'll just give it away and then I'll come up with something new when we go back on campus. But in these (laughs) workshops, I would flip it. So then I would say, okay, now I'm gonna tell you these characteristics of two people, but I'm not gonna show you what they look like. And so from this, you're gonna have to do, you know, basically the same discussion and then we're gonna talk about it. So I had talked about um, these two characters who are actually the same characters but told from a different form of media. Yeah, and, all and that the thing that stuff. I hear you talking about with it, jumping out at me, yeah. uh, and talking about it is like the idea of, of isolation. Yes. Uh, particularly as it relates to the princesses, I'm seeing- Yeah, they have no friends. Right? Is that, a, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that part of the overall like hero canon for Disney or is it specific to princesses? where you see this sort of, what do you think, like, is it um, this sort of isolation? Rapunzel, Snow White, um, Mm -hmm. you know. All of them, yeah. They're all all pretty much isolated Mm -hmm. uh, in that way. Yeah, and I I had mentioned that before, too, where it's like they're all, all of the princesses and all the villains are loners. They are all by themselves, or if they do have friends, they're not human friends. They're all animals, typically. Um, or gods, if you're looking at Moana, right? Maui is a demigod. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they don't typically. And in the episode that I touched on this, um, I had a screenwriter on, and she said it may be because of when, what time period this came from and the idea of, in animation, do you add more characters and create more work for yourself? Or do you just leave it at however that story is where maybe friends are not like a prominent plot point that moves the story forward because as we can tell it obviously you know friends are not needed to move the plot forward um they're just kind of necessarily but doesn't isn't art supposed to reflect life yes yeah and that's the thing because if you look at most of the male leading movies like aladdin and hercules 
Cars, Toy Story, they all have tons of friends. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, and not all of them are human necessarily, but they even then, they have tons of friends who all can speak like the English and United States dialect, however you want to call it. It's not like we're singing and birds are chirping at us. You know, it's not like, <laughs> you know, Bambi is coming up to us and just kind of like nuzzling, you know, his head on us. It's not, it's not like that. Like it is with, you know, Sleeping Beauty and, and those early day princesses, even like the Little Mermaid um, or Belle with all her furniture, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's different. Um, and I know with Belle, at least they do become human eventually, but she doesn't befriend them. When she was a prisoner. Yeah. And she's a prisoner. Is- yeah. There's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic, but yes. Um, I don't know why that is. I didn't, and, um, I'm not in the animation or writer's room to, to know, but you know, yeah, that's how I got my start with the Disney villain stuff. Well, and I think the, the topic of isolation is especially important and relevant right now yes. in, you know, this virtual world that we're all experiencing. I mean, do have you seen an increase in certain resources or services, for example, through your work that you provide for students during these times? I mean, it's easy to feel lonely when you're stuck mm-hmm. at home and you, you don't have these groups and things like that that you used yeah. to. So have you seen a shift, I guess, I'm asking, yeah. in the the services that you provide to students since we kind of entered this lockdown, oh, yeah. so to yeah, say? Yeah, for sure. I did make sure to give everybody a course map and education plan before I left. Everybody had their own tailored plan. I was like, please follow this, please use this. Um, and so then I had to catch up on everything that they did. We had to talk about like what was working for them, what was not working for them in an online environment. Um, and, and that's hard because most of my students did, and I, I can't speak for all students, but a lot of my students specifically said, online education is hard teaching myself and not being able to talk to the instructor every day, to talk to my classmates, to actually physically go somewhere and have that accountability. Um, Because when it's online, if you don't pay attention and don't remember it, it's out of sight, out of mind. And that is super harmful. And a lot of my students also, you know, had issues with hotspots and Wi-Fi. They're sharing Wi-Fi with like you know, three, four other family members and you're competing, you know, for bandwidth, literally, uh, where you have younger siblings who are like running around the house screaming during Zoom meetings and they're like, I'm sorry, that's my younger sibling. in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have dogs barking or, you know, babies or or whatnot, you know, like, you know, typical average everyday stuff now, right? But um, yeah, it it's really hard because at least for me, I was like, well, I know, you know, we had at the time we had the parking lots and we were giving out the hotspots and the Chromebooks and everything. So that was all I could do is, you know, say, hey, check out these resources. I don't know if they're running low or anything. And I personally cannot do more to help you than this. But if we need to talk about other things, let me know. But then most well, well, of the time. Well, let's talk about other things, right? Yeah. So is it safe? Is it is it fair to say that you identify with um, your Asian heritage? I would say more so now than I did like maybe three or four years ago, for sure. So in that in that way, like those other things, mm-hmm. um, particularly in in these recent times, what we're seeing, like the COVID isolation, yep. and then mm-hmm. layer mm-hmm. those other things on top of that. Um, Are you finding support um, in the Asian community? Uh, And if so, you know, what what does that look like for you? Yeah, so it's not something that I really had ever looked at in this way before COVID. Um, And I think it's unique for me in in certain ways. So for me, I identify as a transracial adoptee, which means that I was born in Korea. I migrated to the U.S. and I was adopted into a white family. So it means that I identified as a different race than my parents and my family. Okay, so Um, adoption is almost like a through line. Yes, for sure. Yeah, so I have a very supportive Korean transracial adoptee support group of other um, adoptees who also were born in Korea came to the U.S., specifically live in Washington State. So I've had that from kindergarten to now and beyond. Like, we went to summer camps together, learning about our Korean heritage, 
learning about what it means to be a transracial adoptee. So I've always I've always had that connection, which is not something that I can say for everybody. Um, I was on another podcast that specifically touches on this on this topic, and most of the time with most of their guests and also most of the people that I've met since then, who I also identify with this, but in other states do not have this experience where they do feel more isolated now than ever because they never had that connection. They don't know other transracial adoptees. They don't know anyone else who has this exact experience and no one can really ever say that they totally understand what that what that feeling or what that experience is like. And for me specifically, I've had a very positive upbringing and a very supportive upbringing and my parents introduced me to as many things that they could as you know, they don't know everything, but they tried to introduce me to as many things as possible, like this group. Since COVID, though, I have expanded my Asian network. Um, so in the podcasting world, there is an Asian podcasting network, which is a Facebook group of all Asian American or Asian from anywhere uh, podcasters. So Asian Australians, Asian Europeans, Asian French, like just any Asian identifying podcasters. So it's a group where all of us come together. So we do talk frequently um, and we do support each other's podcasts, whether it's about Asian identifying or not. Uh, Most of them are. I think I'm one of the few that don't actually focus on the Asian experience in the Asian diaspora. Um, But yeah, that has gone huge. I've also been on Clubhouse, which is a new social media app for iPhone users, which is very elitist of them, but um, I have an iPhone, so it works out for me. Um, So I've been on there, and there's a huge Korean-American adoptee social support group there that I've been interacting with. Um, Most of them are outside of Washington State, but I mean, it's nice to meet people from from other states as well and to hear their thoughts about being in isolation, growing up in in a state that maybe doesn't have Um, as diverse of a demographic population and and other things like that. So for me, it's been unique. Um, I don't think I would have necessarily been a part of the Clubhouse group and also the Asian Podcast Network if not for me starting to podcast. So I'm very fortunate where they have reached out to me, um, especially after, you know, the the recent hate crimes and said, hey, are you okay? Um, Which is not something I can say for most other people that I know. But um, that that was very thoughtful. I'm also not the kind of person who necessarily likes those things. So in the future, if you, uh, if something like that happens, I'm not going to be offended if you don't reach <laughs> reach out to me. Because <laughs> when you hear it so many times, it either numbs you or it mm-hmm. becomes like a trigger warning mm-hmm. or a content warning or whatever you know term you think is best to use. Um, so yeah. Um, I've been in that unique position. So I think podcasting has definitely given me a huge um, support network of like over 400 people that I never, never knew about or never. And that's definitely important, you know, to have that community and to have those people backing you up and supporting you as well. And for, you know, let's say for our student listeners, whether they have, whether they're podcasters or whether they're, you know, they have other hobbies or jobs or things like that. What are some of the, um, maybe the groups or the resources that they could, um, they could receive from Pierce College? So what are some of the ways that Pierce College really went up and above and beyond to help students during this COVID time, especially when it's such a sensitive period of time for yeah, everyone? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, the most recent one I can think of is Brenda, Jennifer, and Vicky started a grief support group for students who lost someone to COVID or or just, you know, someone who is grieving um, for whatever reason. They also so started a support group for women, uh, women and non-binary, just any, oh, I don't want to mess that up. I'm assuming any, um, identifying with any kind of... Uh, of those traits but yeah so they started those groups and then there's also I think that have been super supportive has been the library and the writing center and the tutoring center offering online resources to students and like the you know the virtual interaction right um also EDI cares has been a huge part student life uh we had the students of color conference last week which 
I'm assuming is great. I'm going into feedback this afternoon with students, so I really hope that they liked it. Um, but that was that was such a unique time to see students from all over the state together in a virtual setting, learning together, you know, talking to each other. And it's just something that we've been, you know, deprived of. And um, we had a trivia night, so everybody was able to win money, uh, win free money by, you know, answering questions about Beyonce and Netflix and Disney and other things. Um, so it just seemed, yeah, it, it was something, you know, for me too. I mean, I'm not a student, but I also kind of really liked having some kind of human interaction like that outside of um, my family and outside of just being in meetings. And so it was it was a nice change. Um, definitely need more of. Um, there's uh, lots of other things, though. So I know financial aid has been working super, super hard and tirelessly and they're doing they're doing amazing things. They're getting they're getting as much as they can out there to students. Um, so I can I can never speak highly enough of financial aid and, and their team. Um, the VA office has been doing great. I've been working with them, um, making sure that students are you know following their course map, making sure that we are all on the same page about their benefits. Uh, yeah, there's so many things. Workforce. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Amanda in Access and Disability Services. I always have to give a shout out to her. Um, yeah, there, there are so many, and I, I mean, I've, I'm only scratching the surface. There's so many other resources out there that, you know, maybe students do or don't know of. I mean, Running Star is a huge one for our high school population. The, the testing center has been huge and, um, helping students through, you know, English and math, um, self-placement, you know, online and that process, um, making sure that everything is accessible. Um, evaluations has been working their butts off, getting all of the graduation evaluations out, um, they, they also deserve like a huge, they, they're doing so much over there. Uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, we're all doing great things, you know, to help support students and students are supporting students as well. I mean, it's not just, it's not just us and we have a lot of student workers as well and, and they're doing so much too. So yeah, I, and I'm only scratching the surface. There's so many others and I, I apologize if I didn't mention you. So you said something, you said something earlier uh, when you were talking about the uh, the Students of Color Conference where you were, there was trivia between yeah. uh, Disney and Netflix. And I'm curious, yeah. um, have you seen Netflix's uh, Over the Moon? Yes, I have. So in the context of um, the hero's journey and women and yeah. Asian culture, um, what are your thoughts? Like, can you contrast uh, a, a movie like Over the Moon with, say... A Mulan, right? Like some, like a Disney. Yeah, I was thinking thing. about that. Yeah. Um. So I don't know the Chinese legends for both. Um. I will say the director of Over the Moon was the person who designed Aladdin, and I think Ariel and like a few others. Um. So he has obviously come a long way. I think he directed Tangle too. Um. Yeah. I mean, so so both of them are Chinese women. And they have a male sidekick. I think it's interesting because Mulan is all about the hero's journey in terms of I am sacrificing myself for my father, taking his place, going to war for him. Maybe I'll die. I don't know. Um, but then it ends up, you know, sw flipping to be more about her self-discovery, learning about who she is as a person and her own journey to, you know, finding out what she wants in life. Over the Moon is a little bit different because she lost her mother. She's a little, not a little, she's very you know, upset about that her dad is moving on mm -hmm. and that she will have a brother. And she always, always picks him, um, like nitpicks him, like, hey, you're doing this or nagging or whatnot. But then, you know, her journey with him is that they grow to understand that they love each other and that they are truly siblings and that, um, and, I feel like her whole point was trying to, I haven't seen this movie in a while, so I apologize, but her whole thing seemed to be in one, she is a woman in STEM, love it. I'm all hashtag Preach. feminist. Preach. And then two, um, it was about proving her mom's, I would say legacy, like the Bye. stories that her mom told her and proving that her mom still plays such a huge part in her and her dad's life. I think there's a lot more emotions with it, but also because Mulan was supposed to be like a 
let's show every single male stereotype and like toxic masculinity stereotype that we can with these super misogynistic lyrics. Right. <laughs> uh, versus Over the Moon is a bit younger, probably tailored to a younger audience. So there's a lot more positivity. It's a lot more about understanding, comprehending emotions, um, having that emotional intelligence, right? And the not so much action-based, but uh, more about finding out like what really happened in history, what's this perspective versus your perspective versus your perspective, and, and so much more. Well, and just as um, a final question that I wanted to ask you, Katie, in terms of Mulan and, and just looking at Mulan yeah. being a woman and her journey and the things she goes through and what she volunteers for and does, mm -hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know a lot of Disney yeah. movies, the women kind of seem like they can't do anything without a prince to save them, you know? And so what are your thoughts on Mulan right. and the portrayal of her as a woman? Yeah, so I really like her portrayal as a woman in the animated movie, I have to emphasize. I don't like her portrayal as a, as a woman in the live action. Okay, I haven't seen the live action, so okay. I have to check that out. Yeah, so... When you do, watch the live action, then watch the animated right after. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, don't do it the other way around. So basically in the in the animated one, so I like that she goes in trying to showcase these feminine qualities that they say. Like in, in the intro song when she's getting all made up and everything and they're saying you need to be calm, obedient, you know, work fast pace, have a tiny waist, blah blah blah, you'll bring honor to us all. Um, there's also a line about being for sale in that, which is really messed up that I didn't pick up on before. But, um, and she feels awkward. She feels out of place. And so you know right from the get-go that there's there's something, like she doesn't fit in with this stereotype of what being a woman in this period in Chinese history means, which is also kind of wrong because Chinese patriarchy, I did my research at the time, was actually very different. So this is more of a portrayal of Western patriarchy than it is Chinese patriarchy. But anyway... So she already feels out of place, but she also knows that if she doesn't do this, you know, her family tree and family history is going to die with her. And she, it's not going, you know, her family history and her family legacy and her family will not continue if she doesn't do this, if she doesn't have a match, if she doesn't have kids, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the time that we're, you know, this movie is in. So then she goes to war. She's trying to do all of these male stereotype things, but it's, you know, obviously overly extreme and, you know, spitting and all of this stuff. Um, but then she defies the odds. You know, she goes in being like the weakest link and she comes out on top. You know, she's not the weakest link. She's a boss and she is beating all of the men at their at you know at this game of war basically um and she's being strategic about it she's you know coming up with creative new ways like let's create an avalanche instead of using all of our cannons and all of our weapons and all of our utilities and resources let's do something else that will do the work for us um so she does all these things um and yeah she has you know a down moment where she gets outed but um in the end, she does save it. She's the only Disney princess who kills the villain of that movie who has the agency to do that, to kill all of the Huns. Um, most, yeah, even princesses who are progressive in later years who do have agency, their agency gets taken away from a man who ends up saving them at the end, like the very end. Um, like with Kristoff in Frozen 2. Like, Anna has agency. She's doing these great things. Then Kristoff comes up with Sven and saves her twice in a row in like a five-minute span. That being said, I love Frozen 2. Anyway, <laughs> live-action Mulan. Live-action Mulan is different because she was born with it. She was born with this chi ability. She was born with this greater power and greater will. She was already like flipping off of the top of people's houses and jumping two stories and stuff. So she goes in at the top of her class from the get-go. It just takes away from her putting effort in to do these things. It just is like, well, she was born to be a legend. This was like her fate was to do this without necessarily having to put in any work for it. So I think I think the live action movie does take away from from what the animated one does does portray about women um, and like what women can do. And funny enough, you know, the live action movie was directed by a woman. Um, so, you know, that could also tell you a bunch of things about Hollywood and, wow. 
yeah, whole nother discussion. But yeah, there there is a lot of, you can Google search it or Bing or whatever, you know, web search engine you use. But there's a whole thing about Western patriarchy versus Chinese patriarchy, the way women are portrayed in the live action versus the animated, the portrayal of Chinese versus Chinese American in both. There's like so many, so many things. Um, LGBTQIA as well, because General or Captain Li Shang in the animated is, um, people associate him as being bisexual. Uh, whether or not they meant it that way or not. And then in the live action, by totally cutting that character out and putting it into two separate characters, you completely erase that identity. Or people who identify as bisexual, even getting the chance to see themselves represented, even if, you know, Disney doesn't explicitly say that he is. So, there, yeah, there's a lot of things with that you can unpack with Mulan specifically. Definitely. I think going back to the animated version, where you mentioned that she's a boss... I think all women out there should know that they're bosses, and that should be the code word. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> code word boss Ooh. for our listeners. Code word boss. <laughs> I like it. So for those of you listening, this code word is a part of our code word contest where the first five people to email the code word to piercecast at pierce.ctc.edu will receive a special piercecast t-shirt. So... Get right on that. Thank you so much, Katie. This has been really fun and really informative. And I hope that anyone listening, you know, reaches out if they're looking for some of these resources. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been fun. And now, before we wrap up this episode, we just wanted to give a little shout out that our virtual employee recognition event is happening on May 7th. So all of you Pierce College employees who are listening, be sure to watch your email starting at 3.30 p.m. on Friday, May 7th. We're going to have a great time celebrating another year of hard work happening under very unique circumstances, and we hope you'll join us. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and be sure to subscribe to PierceCast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. We want to hear from you, so send us your story ideas and feedback to piercecast at pierce.ctc.edu. And with that, we will see you on the next episode.